0: Hey, welcome to Downtown Community Church. My name is Ben, um, and I have the honor of serving as a lead pastor. This is one of my favorite Sundays of the year. Uh, I say that often because there's a lot of Sundays I suppose that are my favorite classic pastor, right? Um, but uh, one of the reasons this is my favorite Sunday of the year is this is the Sunday right before exam week in the spring, which means this is a Sunday that um, a lot of you are celebrating a big life transition You're uh, graduating, whether it's from your, um, you know, associate's degree or your, um, you, know, your you know, four-year degree. Uh, you've got your BA, your BS, your master's, your your doctorate, but a lot of people are graduating about this time, and we spend a lot of time together on Sundays or throughout the week in community groups or throughout the week serving with one another, and every year, the Sunday, right before exam week, I do what's called, in case you missed it, in case you missed it, or um, if you didn't hear anything else, is another way to say that, because most times in a sermon, I'll say something along the lines of this, and you'll hear this fairly frequently now that you know about it, you'll see the pattern and the recognition, it's... um, If you don't hear anything else, this is what I want you to know. If you don't hear anything else, this is what I want you to know. And so I'll kind of tune into that simple thought and idea every Sunday that, hey, this is the central thing and thought and idea that I want you to walk away with. So once a year, I kind of take all of the thoughts, all of the ideas, and pray and say, okay, God, if, if they don't hear anything else, and they don't hear anything else, what is it that as you go to the next stage in life or place in life, um, what is it that I want you to know if you don't hear anything else? And and frankly, this is going to be helpful, I think, no matter if you're going through a transition or not. But before we get there, um, if you're graduating, can you raise your hand? Can we like like cheer for you for a second? Congratulations. (laughs) That's awesome. Some of you might be in the room right now. If, are, is, are there any parents of graduates? Is there any parent? Could you raise your hand? Hey, congratulations to you! That's a huge accomplishment. And parents, welcome. Uh, you, you, good job. You um, you now get a raise. You don't have to pay for your kids anymore. Hopefully, right? Or some of them. <laughs> I remember my dad when I graduated? He was like, "Man, I'm getting a raise. This is great." I'm like, "Well done, son." You know. But anyway. <clears throat> So no matter where you are, I think this is going to be helpful because as you think about life, life is full of transitions, right? Inevitably full of transitions. And one of the more difficult things as you transition from college into the next step in life is to this point. Virtually everywhere that you've been, all the relationships that you have developed have been proximal, and they've been close in age and oftentimes interest, right? So you grew up, and you were playing uh, sports, and you went to school, and you were in people around your grade, around your class, around your age. You had similar interests. You had um, a lot of frequency. And as that grew and as it developed, perhaps, you know, you were part of a church. Maybe you weren't part of a church, but but you developed relationships and friendships, perhaps in some type of religious institution or an organization. You went to college. And as you went to college, everybody was looking for friends at the same time, right? Everybody who was a freshman was like, "Man, I don't know anybody here," or "I have my three friends that I came from high school with. We used to live in Oviedo together, or Jupiter, Florida together, you know, or I would say Nashville together." But not many people go from Nashville to Tallahassee. Lots of Tallahassee to Nashville, but right, you, you went from one place, and everybody's looking for friends. But as you graduate, one of the more difficult things about faith is that when you are in a community of faith. Keeping the momentum of your faith is very easy. But life creates transitions. And transitions disrupt community, especially when you move from one place to another place. And what happens oftentimes as a result of that is you struggle. And we all struggle. And frankly, whether it's because of a life transition or not, we all have times in our life where we feel like we're doing well spiritually. We feel like on a spectrum of things, one side of that might be for the first time ever. I'm actually investigating faith. I'm actually investigating the things of God. For some of you, it might be, man, I'm reading my Bible consistently for the first time ever. I'm going to community group for the first time ever. And I've been doing that for a while. And I've been reading consistently and praying consistently. There's some sin that has been in my life that I've been able to overcome. But when you're disrupted in your rhythms and in your people, and oftentimes in this next stage of life, you go to a place where you're now working 40 50, maybe 60 hours a week. And everybody around you already has friends. And nobody around you is your age. And here's the problem here's what nobody tells you you have to be mentally present almost the entire time. It's the worst. And so you work from, you know, 8 to 6 or 9 to 6 or 9 to 7, whatever, you know, your kind of normal hours would be, and you get home and you are exhausted, and Monday through Friday you do that, and then it's Saturday, but you're in a new city, in a new place, you don't have any people, any friends, or maybe just one or two, but, but the, the point of that is to say, faith can be really difficult in transition. And when transition hits, when difficulties hit, we oftentimes go through kind of troughs in our faith. We go through some, some regression in our faith and some difficulties. And so today, specifically what I want to talk about, which I think is going to be helpful for everybody, is this. How do you respond? How do you respond the day after, the night after, the morning after, the season after? Your greatest spiritual failures and disappointments. Right? We always talk about, like, okay, this is how you overcome. This is how you live into the gospel, live into a life that's meant to glorify Jesus. But the inevitability for all of us is that we're sinful, Right? You've made mistakes, I've made mistakes, we've all made mistakes. And we've all been through that season where we thought we were going, things are going well, things are going swimmingly, we were growing more and doing more than we ever had before. And then that night happens, or that week happens, or that transition happens, or that season happens. And over and over again, we struggle with faith because we rarely talk about how we respond to our greatest failures, or perhaps just a failure because you kind of felt like you climbed the ladder, so to speak, spiritually, and you got knocked down a couple rungs, and all you can think about is all the work it's going to take to get back, and you wish you could get back to where you were. So let me tell you, everywhere we're going with this sermon this Sunday, our level, our response to our greatest spiritual failures is directly proportionate to how we understand the gospel. I'm going to unpack that. But our response to our spiritual failures is directly connected to our understanding of the gospel. So we're going to go in two parts. We're going to go Romans, then Galatians. We just figured let's just go you know, hyper-focused on Paul this morning. So Romans, we're going to be in chapter 3. And I want to unpack what I mean by the gospel because it's not only going to make sense if we have a clear view of that. So Romans chapter 3, Paul is talking. If you ever read the book of Romans, it's, it's one of my favorite books. And from time to time, we'll be in staff meeting and people will say, well, man, we should go through the book of Romans on Sunday. I'm like, okay. We could do that, but then what did you want to do in 2024, right? This is going to take us years to get through this book. I mean, it is so intricate and deep and complex, and the farther you get into it, the more you just, just Paul is brilliant, but good grief, it takes a while. So cha- chapter 3, verse 9, to this point, um, to summarize, <laughs> to summarize uh, uh, six months' worth of sermons, um, is to say that to this point, there's two audiences. There's the Jews, and then there's the Gentiles. Jews were the people of God, Gentiles were the people who didn't have the heritage and the lineage of God. And so under the banner of Jesus, God, this one particular God had always been a God of the Jews and not of the Gentiles, but Gentiles were kind of grafted into this. And honestly, it created somewhat of an ethnocentric dynamic and clash these two people groups were all coming under the banner of Jesus. And so the Jews would say, because we have the history of God, we're better. And the Jews would say, well... <laughs> They think they're better, but, you know, they seem like they're just as bad as we are. And so Paul spends the first two chapters of the book of Romans basically convincing both Jews and Gentiles, hey, you're all sinners. Super popular message, right? So chapter 3, verse 9, this is what happens. He's talking to the, the Jews. He says, what then? Are we Jews any better off? He's talking about because they have the history and the lineage of God. No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, which is another way of saying Gentiles, both Jews and Greeks are under sin. As it is written, no one is righteous, no not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. He starts kind of shotgunning Old Testament verses, a mixture of of Psalms and Isaiah. All have turned aside, together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throats an open grave, they use their tongues to deceive, their venom of asps is under their lips, asps, you got to be careful how you pronounce that one in church, the mouth, their mouth, their mouth is full of curses and bitterness, their feet are swift to shed blood, in their paths are ruin and ministry, or misery, in the way of peace they have not known, there is no fear of God before their eyes, so this is kind of, he's, he's taking a bunch of different things and saying, okay, Jews, I knew you thought that you were good, Right? I knew you thought that you were great, that you had done a ton of stuff. And this would be similar to us as we look at our spiritual lives and we think, okay, man, I have done really well spiritually. I have overcome sin. I've become consistent in the Word. I've become consistent in prayer. Let me tell you, you have. You have made some progress, and that's wonderful. It's phenomenal. But he says, here's what we fail to realize when we think that we're doing well, is that even our most righteous acts, even our most righteous responsibilities and actions, they're still marked and marred by sin, by sometimes impure motives, by sometimes impure thoughts. And at the core of all of us, we all have sinned. And that's the great thing, by the way, about Christianity, is that no matter who you are, no matter where you are, we all have a shared condition, which is sinfulness. Everyone, every one of us has known what the wrong thing to do is and willfully chosen it. And God is not ignorant of that. What's beautiful is he says, so I just want you to know, one, you're all sinners, but welcome to the club because we all are. He says, now we know, verse 19, that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be accountable to God. In other words, and so we know that the purpose of the law is was to make us accountable to God. This is another way to say it in verse 20. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight since through the law comes knowledge of sin. Now, I know everyone's totally clear on what that means. So let me explain it for those of us who are still starting to process that. He says this, so by works of the law, by us doing well spiritually, by us attending, by us showing up at church, by us doing well, he says, no one, no human being is justified. In other words, none of us are good with God because of our good behavior, which is different for some of us, by the way. Because if you were raised in a church like I was raised in, you were good with God based on your good behavior. If you um, took off your hat when you prayed, and if you didn't, it's like, man, I'll tell you what, this generation, they're sinners, you know? Depending on what kind of clothes you wear, you wear or wore. Uh, it, it, a lot of times depends on, you know, <laughs> kind of the gold standard of Christianity. It's like, can you step on a Lego in the middle of the night and not cuss? Wow, you know? You know, and somebody's going to look at you in a kind of building group and they're be like, hey, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Sinner, you know? <laughs> and you're like, yeah, but it was really sharp. <clears throat> what's interesting is we think morally we have climbed the mountain and so now we're good and Paul looks and says hey hey, hey, here's the deal none of us none of us not a person in this room is good with God because we have done good in fact in fact it's the opposite it's the opposite he says that through the law We become conscious, or we come to the knowledge of sin. In other words, you want to know what the purpose of the morality of the law is in the Old Testament? Let me tell you. It's to make us aware that we're not good enough to be good. God's good graces. That's it. Like, is it a better way to live? Sure. But the purpose of it, the function of the law, was to bring us to the awareness that we, in fact, are sinners. Which, for some of us, is wonderful news. Because you came in this morning feeling that way, Right? And I came in this morning perhaps feeling that way because you did something last night or last week and you just, you're overwhelmed with guilt and feeling like God is angry at you. Well, here's the good news. That's just validation that you are, in fact, a sinner. But none of us were supposed to be righteous or justified or made right with God because of the good things that we've done. It's only that we would realize that, in fact, we can't be good enough. Verse 21, he says, But now the righteousness of God, the righteousness of God or the right standing with God, the living for God, how that works, it has been made manifested apart from the law. In other words, how we find ourselves in God's good graces is apart from how we behave and how we moral and how well we listen he says, although, let me be clear, the law and the prophets bear witness to it. So don't think this is a deviation from the Old Testament. This is the fulfillment of that. He says, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. So this is, so this is the new deal. This is the new covenant. It's about Jesus. It's for everyone who believes. There is no distinction, a.k.a. between Jews and Gentiles at all pinnacles in verse 23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. In other words, the universal condition of humanity is that we've all sinned and we've all fallen short of the glory of God. But we are justified, or and we are justified, by his grace as a gift through the redemption in Christ Jesus. He says, in other words, it's like you realize, and I use this example all the time, you realize you got pulled over for a speeding ticket. You have done something that was an infraction upon the law. And after getting pulled over, you, were, you received a fine. That fine was too much that you could not pay. And you came to the realization that you couldn't pay. Subsequently, you came to the realization that you were never meant to pay that fine. That that was only a fine that God could ever pay and he paid it for you through his son, Jesus, that when we stand before God, we stand before God forgiven, not because of what we've done, but because of what he has done. And so we don't live for God to make God happy with us. We live for God because God is happy with us through Jesus. And there's a huge shift that happens there. In other words, I'm not earning my way. Jesus has already paid my way. No matter what my kids do, they're four and six, and sometimes they do a lot of stuff that grates on your nerves. Parents who are, have graduates, like, I, I marvel at your feet right now, okay? Like, some of the stuff that I do, I'm just like, dude, grow up, like literally, right? But there's nothing that those little juggers can do to not be my children. I don't want them to, to do what I say because of the fact that their fear Is an existential threat that their dad will no longer be their father? I want them to do what they say in the best sense because they want to make me happy and proud and because they know I only want what's best for them. They're not earning their way into being my children. They would have lost that a long time ago. He said that it's through redemption that is in Jesus Christ, who God put forward as a propitiation by His blood, to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness, because in His divine forbearance He passed over our former sins. The propitiation—the idea behind that—is—is Jesus, because God is love, hundred percent. God is also just, and He also is a judge. The wrath of God had to be fully and finally satisfied for us to receive the love of God. And Jesus stepped in that gap for us. Now, let me tell you why this is so important. In fact, I've got an illustration um, from my house. So actually, this is an illustration um, from the London house. So thanks, Jewel, uh, Collie. Somehow we came upon this. But this idea, right, th- the problem is, Is that when we think that we have done something to earn our way into God's good graces, right? What we oftentimes see is like, here's the gospel, here's here's the truth about Jesus. And this is like step one on the on the ladder. I think I'm gonna climb up it a little bit. Let's give a little, have a little fun this morning, right? And so we're like, man, okay, I've got that. And what we oftentimes see is our steps of growth in faith as a progression in holiness. So, okay, that was, okay, I I received, I believe in Jesus. Okay, what's my next step? I think I need to, to get rid of some sin. And so I got rid of some sin in my life, right? So I'm a little bit higher, and it's like, man, like, I'm starting to feel good spiritually, right? And a part of that, 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 that sin kind of overcoming um, was perhaps you started, like, reading your Bible and praying, and you went to community group, and then, this, this was crazy, you went from just, like, spiritual growth, you, you started leading people. I don't know how crazy this is about to get. This is called faith right here, Okay? This is a bad idea. (laughs) Right? Now you're like, I'm leading people. It gets a little wobbly when you start leading, by the way. Right? But you start growing and growing and growing in your faith. And the problem is then you hit a transition. You hit a transition. And this this progression, I just took a couple steps up. This progression took, took months. Some of us, it took years to get to this point. Well, the problem is, is when we go through a setback in faith, because we think we have earned our way up. We think that the gospel is the first step or the first rung on the ladder or the first step in the staircase. When we fall, which I'm not going to fall. I'm just going to step down. We take intentional steps of disobedience. That's what we're going to go with right now. <laughs> <laughs> Make it spiritual. <clears throat> what happens is is we're thinking, we're back in square. Like, okay, I get the gospel. I still believe in Jesus. I still have my faith, but it's just... Everything is so different, and reasonably so. And this is why setbacks are so difficult. But the reason I say that our understanding of the gospel, our conceptualization of the gospel, determines our response when it comes to spiritual setbacks is because this is a bad illustration of faith. This is a better illustration of faith. You can thank my son for this one, although, to be honest, he didn't have a choice it's a little kid bike wheel in case you can't see these are all different spokes of the wheel so this is how I like to explain faith in a little bit different of a way the gospel is the hub it's the centerpiece it's this key center axle that that everything rests on and everything comes from the weight and the support of everything comes from what happens here at the center and all of these little beams they're little offshoots of what happens as a result of the gospel Let me explain that. So, this is the gospel. This is God's love, death, and forgiveness of us. You wanna know why we forgive people? It's not because we've ascended the ladder, it's because we realize that we have been forgiven. And so, from the hub of forgiveness from the gospel, we then forgive other people. You wanna know why we're generous? It's not because we're like, man, I have ascended to where I, man, I'm not at 10% yet, but I'm like 8.5%. I am killing the game at this point in life, right? And so I'm about like right here in terms of the ladder. It's because we realize that Jesus gave everything for us, and so everything I have is his. And so that's just an offshoot of the understanding and the awareness of the gospel. In other words, if your understanding of the gospel is it's the first step in a spiritual progression, you will have an incredibly difficult time an incredibly difficult time, getting back up after your worst defeat. But if you understand at the core we are all sinful, and at the core everything we do is an expression or a demonstration of God's death for us, then all we have to do is realign, adjust one little spoke. Because we didn't earn our way into this. It all came from the center of this. And so if one spoke goes, the whole thing isn't shot. If one spoke goes, no, we just re that one little spoke that's there. We repent from what we did, and we turn back to the ways. But it's not this gigantic step of spiritual regression. I want you to give you one example from Scripture in this. In the book of Galatians, Paul um, is, is writing. Galatians is actually kind of like a mini Romans if you've never um, read it before. So I'd advise reading Galatians before you read Romans just because... It gets complex. So Galatians chapter 2. So Paul begins the first chapter talking about kind of who he is, where he's been, what he's done, substantiating and validating his ministry, as well as the first several verses in chapter 2. Chapter 2, verse 11, he talked about this, this interaction, this, this tension that he had with um, Peter. He calls him Cephas because I guess he's just like, you know how sometimes... When you're in trouble, like you call your kid by their full name, I think that's what Paul was doing to Peter. So, chapter two, verse eleven, he has this interaction with Peter um, that he recounts. But when Cephas, aka Peter, came to, came to Antioch, which was a church um, or a place, and the place had a church, um, he says, "I opposed him to his face." So there was confrontation. So those of you who are like, like, you're not passive. You're like, if nothing else, be aggressive, right? You would like Paul in this moment because he opposes Peter to his face. He confronts him because, and he says this is why, he stood condemned. In other words, he was wrong. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. When he came and drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. Now let me... Some of us are like, man, okay, we just took a left turn in this sermon. Here's here's, here's what was going down. The Jews had all of these laws and all these rituals and all these things that you couldn't, couldn't eat. And so Peter, knowing that everything was clean, under the New Testament, the New Covenant, the blood of Jesus, everything was clean. There was nothing that was off limits. He saw that Peter was with the Gentiles and was fine to do any of that. But at some point, some of the people from James who were Jewish folks, some of the Jewish folks started to come into town. And Peter, seeing the Jewish folks, feared what they would say, what they would think, and started living in a different way because of the pressure of that one group. To break it down kind of on a more principled level, um, Paul is seeing him and saying, Peter, you're acting in essence like a hypocritical racist. Because you see what's happening with the Gentiles, what's happening with the Greeks. And you're just given into it. The sense of Jewish nationalism, so to speak. You're just given into it. And so, Peter, I want you to know that that's wrong. Peter, I want you to know that's sinful. Peter, I want you to know that you're being hypocritical. But listen to what he says. Listen, Listen to how he assesses the problem of Peter. Because he could have said, Peter, you are being a hypocritical racist. Stop, repent. This is what he says. But when I saw their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, in other words, and here's what I realized that this was simply a misalignment from the expression of the truth of the gospel. That God is for everyone. There are no Jews. There are no Greeks. That that everyone is sinful. Everyone is redeemed in Jesus. That everything is now clean. And what I realized was, hey, 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 uh, Peter, at the core of this, I could say it's a lot of things. But at the core of it, this is a misalignment of the gospel. And so, Peter, here's what you do. You just realign with the gospel. He says it this way to him. He said, and I said to Cephas before them all, if though as a Jew living like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? In other words, Peter, you know that the gospel speaks clearly about this. You know what the gospel says about Jews and the Gentiles and things that are clean and aren't clean. So live in alignment with the gospel. So here's what I want you to know and do. And here's here's the, if you didn't hear anything else. I want you to know this. Nothing you will ever do. Nothing you will ever do is what makes you righteous and right with God. It is only through Jesus' death, his blood, and his resurrection. In that morning you wake up, that morning, and perhaps it's a morning, or perhaps it's just something that happens that you come to the acute realization that for the last week, or the last month, or the last year, or perhaps the last decade, You have lived in such a way that you look back and think, I am such an idiot. I am so dumb, and how could I make this mistake again? You feel like you failed, and you feel like perhaps you have outrun the love of God, that there is no forgiveness. Here's what I want you to know. You were never good anyways and that is such good news because you thought you were good you thought you were great but you weren't we we were good kind of subjectively comparatively to to you and you to me but compared to the holiness of god the other day Rhodes, my little four-year-old he brought home this um, painting this drawing not painting drawing from school big piece of paper it's all green I said, Rose, what is that, buddy? This it's a golf course. It's like sweet. That's what I thought it was. <laughs> carrying the into to the car. He goes, No, Dad, I, I changed my mind. It's a rhino. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you know, whatever, whatever. What, what else did sailboat? What else you got? You know, just what is it? Now he was so proud of that. And I was proud of him for that, right? I saw that. I looked at it. And I thought, man, Rose, that is awesome. We, you know, we celebrate. Bro, buddy, you're, you know, wow, what a great artist. It's kind of that line between, like, parental lies and encouragement. You know, it's like, it's like, oh my gosh, that's awesome, dude. You know, wow, what a golf course. Wow, I see the rhino. Holy cow, right? Because I, because it's not to say that, like, God's like, oh, you're awful. You're terrible. You're always, like, I think, I, I think in the struggle to honor him, God is honored by that. But, like, right, if, if he's, like, rembrandt michelangelo you know whoever it is he's not looking at being like wow rose you really have potential you know like compared to the sophistication of the holiness of god we're like a four-year-old drawn with a crayon who doesn't know how to do numbers and letters yet and god is honored by that but when we begin to overestimate the spiritual ladder that we have climbed our setbacks become devastating. But when we realize that at best, every man at best is man at best, that we realize that the core of who we are, man, we are sinful, and we do our best to give expressions to honor God. And at times we come to the realization, yeah, I messed that one up. But you know what? It's just further validation that I am in fact a sinner in need of a savior. And it makes all the difference in the world. On the spiritual end of it, to not get to the point of spiritual superiority and bombastic holiness. And it also makes all the difference in the world when you come to the acute realization because of something that you've done or something that I've done, that you are in fact a sinner. So if you don't hear anything else, here's what I want you to know. God loves you. God died for you. We live to honor him, not to make him happy but because he is happy with us because of Jesus. And when we come to the realization that we have just messed it up again, we have just created another data point that says we are still in fact sinners in need of a savior, but sinners who are dedicated to continually struggling to love, glorify, and honor him. So here's my prayer. Because I think we're all sinful, I think we all will mess up. And whether that that, that realization comes a day from now, a week from now, a month from now, a year from now, a decade from now. Here's what I want you to just think. I just want you to, I, just want you to, I hope in that moment, and I pray in that moment, God lodges this so deep inside of you and me. That when you come to the awareness, you simply have the, have the ability to pause and say, I am a sinner in need of a savior. I always have been. I always will be. Thank you, God, for dying for me that's it. I am a sinner in need of a savior. I always have been, I always will be, and thank you God for dying for me. And I promise you, you will have the ability to have more spiritual resilience than almost anybody around you, because you realized it was never about you in the first place. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much that though we all have sinned and fallen short of your glory, and we all live to glorify you, to honor you, we live towards you, for you, in holiness to the best of our ability as your spirit works and pours and moves inside of us, knowing that at the end of the day we are still sinful. We live in the already not yet. Our salvation has already been determined. We are not yet there, and so we live in this, in this sinful state, struggling to glorify you. Some of us are like a four-year-old with a green crayon. Some of us are like an 11th grader with a cool set of iPad pencils. But we all are just doing our best to glorify you, knowing that no matter who we are, where we are, we can never ascend the ladder of spiritual holiness to earn our way into your good graces. And we're so thankful that we were never meant to. I pray, whether it's a day, a week, a month, a year, a decade from now, that that would be wildly undistracting. (laughs) I pray that you would lodge this deep inside of our hearts and deep inside of our minds, that we are a sinner in need of a Savior. Always have been, always will be, and thank you, thank you, thank you for dying for me. And it's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.